Well, there's still questions as far as, is it still leaking? We know that the pipe has been shut down, but we're not sure yet if there's still oil coming out of that pipe. And we also want to know exactly how did this happen? When is it going to be repaired? And how can we make sure that this never happens again? Yeah, that last part in particular. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. I had quite a bit that I was looking forward to covering today um, from, uh, of course, the, well, uh, the, uh, the end of last week. Let me uh, toss out my thanks to Nicole Sandler. Uh, for filling in for us on Friday as we had some personal business to take care of. Uh, she covered, by the way, if you missed that show, she, you can download it for free at bradblog.com. She interviewed both of the candidates vying for the Democratic nomination to take on uh, Ron DeSantis in the gubernatorial race in Florida next year. She had both Charlie Crist, the former governor who was a Republican, now he's a Democrat, and Nikki Freed, who is the uh, agriculture commissioner in the state of Florida. I believe she's the only statewide elected uh, Democratic elected official. They are both vying for the nomination to run against uh, Ron DeSantis, or as Charlie Chris calls him, Wrong DeSantis, or as Nicole calls him, Ron Death Sentence. In any event, um, really good, two really good interviews if you want to check them out at bradblog.com. Thank you, Nicole, for that. Um, so since we were gone, I had hoped uh, to, uh, it was a lot that I wanted to catch up on, from the ongoing negotiations among Democrats to pass two transformative bills in D.C. and Congress that in full comprise the bulk of the Biden agenda and the unhelpful media coverage of the dispute between, frankly, just two Democratic senators with pretty much the, re the entirety of the Democratic Congressional Caucus and the White House. And shamefully, the even more immediate concern of Republicans 
still threatening to tank the U.S. economy and the world economy with it by blocking an extension of the debt ceiling before October 18, which is already uh, roiling the stock market again today. And uh, and some new news out of the fake Arizona uh, audit, the 2020 election audit by the Cyber Ninjas, uh, finding that that phony audit about which we were the first in the nation to break the news on this show that the ninja's own hand count had reportedly found uh, a hand count of 2.1 million ballots in Maricopa, uh, had found that Joe Biden actually won the state over Donald Trump by even more than originally certified. Well, that so-called audit was even phonier than previously known at the end of last week. I still hope to get to as much of that as I can, if time allows, and some of your calls on all of the above at 818-985-5735, though I've had to reschedule our guest to talk about Arizona today in place of a different one, because out here in California over the weekend, another breaking news story has uh, shuffled around our priorities for the immediate moment. Uh, Many who don't live in California are unaware of the fact that we are actually a pretty huge oil-producing state. Yes, there are oil derricks right in the middle of urban Los Angeles here in Southern California, and our coastline is dotted with offshore oil platforms, often as far as the eye can see, for tens if not hundreds of miles up and down the, the shoreline. Some of these platforms and and drilling rigs miles out at sea have pipelines that lead back miles into the uh, coastline to the uh, to the coast and or to tankers, which get loaded up directly from some of these offshore platforms for shipping to refineries, many of which are also here in California. Oil and other fossil fuel related disasters, unfortunately, are not rare here at all. Uh, we've covered a number of them in uh, in recent years on the broadcast and on our Green News Report. Hi, Desi Doyen. Uh, from uh, from oil refinery explosions in, in both northern and southern California to the recent, what was it, billion-dollar settlement last week uh, from uh, SoCal Gas. It was actually $1.8 billion. Billion. But yes, that's what they agreed to. We'll see if the court agrees. But yes, it gives you a sense of the amount of damage done by the fossil fuel industry in Southern California and how much it costs to repair some of the damage. That was after the uh, largest methane leak in U.S. history uh, here in 2015 that went on for about four months, just about 30 minutes outside of uh, L.A. County back in, in 2015. But reaching farther back, a three million gallon oil spill off Santa Barbara in 1969 has been credited with helping to set off the modern day environmental movement. Tar balls still wash up to this day along its coastline, the coastline near Santa Barbara, more than 50 years later. In 1990, the oil tanker American Trader ran over its anchor off of Huntington Beach, uh, about 30 minutes south of L.A., spilling nearly 417,000 gallons of crude fish, and about 3,400 birds were killed in that event. In 2015, the Refugio spill, also near Santa Barbara, reminding many of what happened back in 1969, became the worst in decades for the state, sending more than 100,000 gallons of crude oil spilling mostly into the ocean after an onshore pipeline ruptured. A $22 million settlement was ultimately finalized just last year in that, and I kind of want to say only $22 million. 
That was finalized just last year in October of 2020 to restore natural resources that were damaged by that spill. Uh, Desi, I recall driving along the coast and smelling the oil in the air from the highway uh, during that spill. And later, uh, finding tar, tar balls again washing up on the beach months after the spill, I think on, on Gaviota Beach. Was yes, it, where and, we were? and it's actually yeah. still washing up tar balls even to this day. It took more than a year to clean up the Refugio Beach spill at a cost of more than $22 million. So, uh, sadly, none of this is new. But now it has happened again. And this appears to be worse than what we saw in 2015 when it was uh, 100,000 gallons. Uh, A pipeline failure off the coast of Orange County, California, on Saturday caused at least 126,000 gallons of oil to spill into the Pacific Ocean. That's about 3,000 barrels of post-production crude as of the uh, publicly reported tallies on Saturday morning. It created a a 13-square-mile oil slick, That continued to grow on Sunday and into today, according to officials. Dead birds and fish have reportedly been washing ashore in some places as cleanup crews raced to try to contain the spill. As much as a day after reports of petroleum smell in the air and boats coming back to the docks with oil on their hulls was reported by residents, uh, the spill finally, there was finally action taken on the spill by Saturday Uh, after it had already created a slick that extended from Huntington Beach near the site of that 1990 oil tanker disaster all the way down to Newport Beach, which is about 10 miles down the coastline. Officials say the leak occurred about three miles off the coast of Newport Beach and involved a failure in a 17-and-a-half-mile pipeline connected to an offshore oil platform called Ellie. It's operated by a company named Beta Offshore. It's owned by a company named Amplify Energy Corporation. According to Environment California, the pipeline, which appears to have ruptured in some fashion, was formerly operated by Shell Oil. It has been in place since the 1980s. The 17-and-a-half-mile pipeline that ruptured somewhere is 80 to 100 feet below the surface. Officials say that it has now been suctioned out so no more oil would spill as the location of the leak was being investigated. And as scuba divers, I believe, were checking, were were crawling along the lines, checking all 17 miles uh, for the source of the leak. Yes, it's like you said, a 17-mile pipeline. It's about 80 to 100 feet down. This is going to take time to find the source. So uh, I don't know if any of these numbers, by the way, have been confirmed yet by independent investigators, but we're just telling you what we know at this hour. The U.S. Coast Guard had had said in a statement on Sunday night that crews had recovered, whatever that means, about uh, a little more than 3,000 gallons of oil out of this 126,000-gallon spill. At least 126,000. 14 boats were involved in the cleanup effort on Sunday. That would be two days after the initial reports as crews had deployed uh, more than 5,000 feet of boom, the floating barrier that contains helps to try to contain the oil. The spill prompted officials to close the beaches in Huntington Beach, where the third day of the annual Pacific Air Show had to be canceled on Sunday. 
That a day after an estimated one and a half million people had gathered on the ocean front to watch the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds. Mayor Kim Carr of Huntington Beach said at a news conference on Sunday that the spill was, quote, one of the most devastating situations our community has dealt with in decades. The Ellie site, that platform, has two producing platforms and a processing platform with around 70 different wells all feeding into it. The platforms sit atop a rich supply of oil in federal waters that are managed by the Interior Department. But the beaches in Huntington Beach will be closed until further notice, according to Mayor Carr on Sunday, adding that it was too early to say how long those beaches would be off limits. The cleanup efforts were being led by the Coast Guard. While in Huntington Beach, the local response was focused in part on, uh, according to the mayor, preventing an ecological disaster by mitigating the impacts of the oil on our precious wetlands and wildlife. The oil slick also appeared to infiltrate the Talbert Marsh. This is a 25-acre ecological reserve across from Huntington State Beach that's home to dozens of species of birds, according to officials, five miles off Huntington Beach, um, the uh, mayor, Brad Avery of Newport Beach, he said he was leaving Catalina Island, heading back toward Huntington Beach to the air show. When five miles off of Huntington Beach, he said, quote, we have these beautiful dolphins following along the boat. We had six or seven of them. To our dismay, all of a sudden, we were in this big patch of oil, he said. He said it was sort of a moment where we have this beautiful nature and then this man-made disaster, according to uh, Mayor Avery. Laura Dean, the uh, state director of Environment California, said in a statement on Sunday that the spill was a, quote, stark and dark reminder that oil is dirty, dangerous, and can make our air and water too toxic for life. Joining us now... With the latest on all of this is Laura Dean of Environment California, a nonprofit grassroots organization working to take on global warming, protect the ocean, and fight for clean air, clean water, and the conservation of open spaces. Oh, I guess it's a busy day for her. Environment California is part of Environment America, a national network of state environmental groups. Uh, Laura Dean, thank you for joining us today on the broadcast. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Laura, first, do we know that this leak has actually been capped or is it continuing to spill at this hour at, at, uh, as to your knowledge? So all that's been reported is that over 126,000 gallons of oil seeped out of the pipeline um, and allegedly it's been patched. Mm -hmm. So most of the seepage has stopped. Um, however, there were reports that there were there was some continuing seepage happening, mm. and in addition, the that huge quantity of oil, that three million barrels of oil. Um, oh, sorry, I, three I, three thousand <laughs> barrels of oil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We were we at were least at least as far as we know. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, so it's one hundred twenty-six thousand gallons, or over four hundred fifty thousand liters of oil that was dumped into the water, um, and it's just spreading up and down the coast right now. Um, there's definitely been efforts by the Coast Guard to halt that spread, mm -hmm. putting in these big boom arms around in the ocean. Um, however, there's reports, um, you know, I, we just heard a report that, that Shaw's Cove has 
had oil reported, so we know it's spreading. That that's mm. the Laguna Beach reserve um, that now has oil in it, mm. and so um, I think the good news is there's not a huge quantity still being dumped, uh, like we saw with Deepwater Horizon, where yeah. it just was continued, you know, to spurt into the water. Right. But um, but the impacts are significant. I mean, this is a massive, major oil spill off the California coast. And- and, and one of the things that I found, uh, Laura Dean, in re- reporting on these disasters over the past couple of decades is that, you know, we had initial reports, 126,000 gallons, about 3,000 barrels uh, had leaked into the water. Uh, but one of the things that we've discovered in our years of reporting on these fossil fuel related de- disasters, it seems like the initial numbers are almost always a low ball estimate, sometimes drastically so. Has there been any update at all on how much crude has actually been spilled into the water at this point? I know the initial number was 126,000 gallons. Is that the last thing that we've actually uh, heard at this point? And uh, are we just taking the company's word for it, I guess? Basically, yes. Right now, that's the, the first number we heard. And the latest number that we've heard for how much oil has been dumped into the water um, and we are concerned. There were reports from researchers at UC Santa Barbara after the refugio oil spill mm-hmm. that the final number was much higher than the official count right. of oil that was dumped in the ocean. Yep. And so we're absolutely, we need to really get to the bottom of what's happened here. Um, I, I think our immediate concern is let's protect the wildlife, let's minimize the damage to our beaches and our coastlines. Um, as much as we can right now. Um, but then ultimately we're going to need to um, really get to the bottom of what happened. Yeah. And of course we're calling for a, a permanent end to this type of activity. And, because yeah, and I want to... Yeah, enough is enough indeed. And I, w- I want to get to that in a moment. Uh, just for the moment, uh, however, sticking to what we know and what we don't. I've seen quite a bit of reporting over the weekend about the sensitive uh, 25-acre Talbot Marsh Ecological Reserve near Huntington Beach. Has the oil uh, been confirmed to have reached that area, to your knowledge, or have, have crews been able to protect it so far? And if you could tell me a little bit about what is at stake there in uh, that area, uh, ecologically sensitive area and and some of the others that may be in the line of fire here. Yeah, so the, the Talbert Marsh wetland, unfortunately, has had oil reported that, that's already seeped into that wetlands area. Um, and so that's a significant concern. This is a, a home to over 80 different species of birds, including the great blue heron, um, pelican, um, egret, the reddish egret, which is quite a, a rare bird, um, can be found there. Mm. And so um, I know that in the rescue efforts, there's already um, there's been reports of fish and birds dying. Um, and then, uh, you know, we're, we're just at the very beginning. So we're going to learn a lot more over the next few weeks yeah. about what the impacts are. Yeah, and I'm seeing also conflicting stories on that. The uh, the Orange County Supervisor Katrina Foley had said that uh, some birds and fish were already uh, found to have been caught in the muck and died, but the U.S. Coast Guard suggested in a weekend statement they had not seen much damage to wildlife yet. Um, they noted that uh, there were other reports of oiled wildlife uh, that were being investigated. Uh, I guess we really, is it just too early to know the real story? I'm, I'm concerned that maybe this is being downplayed by the Coast Guard. Uh, or is it just too early uh, to get an idea of the, the size 
of of the disaster here, or is the area of the disaster just too large to get a real sense of the damage at this point? It's very early days, but what was reported in the press conference this morning is mm-hmm. that they had rescued or they had collected four different birds that were really covered in oil. Um, one of those was a brown pelican mm. that unfortunately had sustained such severe injuries they had to euthanize it. They could not rescue it. Mm. And then there definitely have been reports of dead fish washing up by the Santa Ana River mm. and that uh, you know they think are associated with this. Uh, disaster. Um, and all of the wildlife experts that I've spoken with or heard from have indicated that it is very early days. Um, as you said, this, this spill happened quite deep in the ocean and um, it's spreading as we speak. There's reports of dolphins, marine mammals, um, you know, sea lions, um, you know, live in this area. And um, all of, all of th- this marine life is really vibrant um, yeah. home for, for so many different species. And um, they're all vulnerable when the, there's huge quantities of oil in the water. Residents uh, had reported smelling oil and uh, boats were reportedly coming back to docks with, with their hulls coated in oil late on Friday. But it wasn't until Saturday, I guess, when, when booms were deployed and they be, even began to uh, shut down whatever the pipeline was that was causing the leak, as I understand it. And, um, uh, you know, why wasn't there a, a a quicker response? I guess I'm, I'm wondering who dropped the ball here and why. I'm trying to figure out who's actually, if anyone, the, uh, the first line of defense in these sorts of disasters. Is it the, is it the company, the oil company? Is it the state? Is it the U.S. Coast Guard? Because this was out in, in federal waters. How is this supposed to work? And did it work that way, as far as you can tell? Because it seemed like there was a long lag time between the initial reports of the the problem and when something was actually done about it. I agree with you. I have the same questions. And I think that we need to have a hearing to get to the bottom of what actually happened and where the failures took place. Um, There were people, you know, heading onto the beach, walking on the beach, getting toxic tar on their you know, um, not knowing that there was an oil spill that had just taken place the day before. Mm. And um, it just took clearly way too long to, to respond in this case. Um, and then, you know, I, I think our focus right now is what else can happen to protect the wildlife that's in the water mm-hmm. right now. Um, we know that there's these booms that are out there, but, you know, that are trying to hold off the oil from spreading further. But what else can we be doing mm-hmm. to... Um, to really make sure we're protecting our shorelines as much as possible. Um, and, and what so, and, yeah. and what could we do, we be doing? Uh, you know, beyond this spill. And I know you mentioned uh, you referenced this a little bit at the top. You know, as these spills keep happening over and over again. I mentioned just a few of them at the top of this segment. There's a lot more that I could have listed. Uh, you know, so I'm wondering. Uh, I guess a what is the solution to this? Uh, these disasters that seem to keep happening. Uh, what is the solution as Environment California sees it? And B, since I suspect your answer will be to somehow begin ending the fossil fuel infrastructure here in the state, uh, how much of an economic upheaval would that actually entail for the state? The oil industry, as I as I noted, is actually very big here in California. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we clearly need to 
end our dependence on oil to power our lives as fast as possible. So we're definitely calling for a permanent ban on oil drilling off the California coast. Our coastline is too precious, it's too vulnerable, and we need to prevent anything like this from happening ever again. Um, as you mentioned, in 1969, there was a really awful oil spill mm-hmm. off the California coast that many credit with launching the modern environmental movement um, that led to the first Earth Day in 1970, and that really did spur a lot of protections for the environment, like the Clean Water Act mm-hmm. and the Clean Air Act. Um, but clearly the regulation of oil drilling, trying to put fines on companies and make them, uh, you know, susceptible to criminal penalties even, none of that has been enough to force them to, you know, not engage in negligible, negligent activity. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to go further and so that's why we're supporting a permanent end to oil drilling off of our coast. And a lot of this can, uh, can actually uh, not, if I understand it and, and help me out here, because are there actions that the uh, state government could make that governor Newsom uh, could take right now in response to this, that uh, environment California would like to see him take, or are, you know, so many of these platforms are out in federal waters under the, uh, supposed observation of the uh, Interior Department and responded to by the Coast Guard. Is there something that the state can do, meanwhile, while the federal government uh, fights about all sorts of things, which I'll ask you about in a moment? Sure. So uh, during the time of the Trump administration, there were aggressive plans made to open up the California coast to oil and gas to new oil and gas drilling, more and more leases to be sold. Yeah. And that's still the official national plan. And um, But during that time, the state legislature uh, really fought back by instituting all kinds of rules, um, basically banning the uh, additional pipelines being built from the federal waters to the shore. Mm. And you can imagine if you drill for oil and have no way to transport it to the shore, then it's a pretty difficult thing. You know, it yeah. doesn't really make for a good business model. Um, and so that was extraordinary leadership by the state legislature to protect our coastline when it was really threatened. Um, and so we, um, I, I really want to see the state take similar action about existing drilling operations. Mm. Um, if we don't have the power, you know, we, we have banned oil drilling in state waters. Once you get further than three miles off the coast, though, it's federal waters. So what else could we do as a state to really make it untenable for these oil companies to continue to do this dirty business off our coast? The uh, California State Legislature, uh, their authority, they have used that, as you said, to restrict new oil and gas infrastructure, even if it's a, a, a platform that's three miles off the coast. Once that pipeline comes into shore, now it comes into uh, state authority. Um but they basically grandfathered all of the existing rigs that are out there and are allowing them to continue to operate. And that is something that they could do. But again, brings us back to and and I hate to make this a, a numbers issue, an economic issue, because I know that the damage, the devastation that is doing to our climate is far worse than any you know hard dollars that these uh, uh, that these companies are making or that they're paying in taxes. But it is a rather large and still powerful industry in this uh, state, the uh, uh, oil and, and, and gas industry, is it not, Laura? 
Well, I think that California is the third largest oil-producing state, which is pretty remarkable. Um, however, when you think about the consequences of not ending our dependence on oil, um, I, I really think the costs to our society are so much greater. Mm-hmm. We can no longer afford to have these really significant negative events like yeah. a massive oil spill off our coast. From you know, Obviously, there's economic impacts from that too, right? Yeah. To the, the coastal communities. Um, to people who want to be able to go surfing, the people who want to be able to enjoy, you know, visit our Southern California beaches right. um, and enjoy them, the tourism industry, the fishing industry, all of these industries are, you know, going to lose a lot right now from this type of event. Um, and so um, it, to, I think the public is pretty clear that we want to move as fast as we can away from dependence on dirty oil and gas. And so the state leaders should be emboldened to do everything in their power to do that. Yeah, even as I was asking that question, uh, Laura Deanne, about the uh, you know the the size of the industry and and the cost uh, of shutting it down, you know, I'm thinking to myself, hey, Brad, tell it to the to the tourism industry in Huntington Beach at this point, huge industry which may be shut down for who knows how long. Uh, Laura, the uh, broadening this uh, conversation out just a little bit in, in our uh, closing few minutes here, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, and I suspect I'll be discussing more in detail uh, in, in a moment. But how important is the Build Back Better Act? That's Joe Biden's proposed uh, $3.5 trillion social safety net and climate change bill. How important is that to California as Environment California sees it? And for that matter, how important is the smaller, uh, the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill that has already passed in the Senate but is being held in the House until both of the bills can be passed? How important is what is going on in D.C. to the state of California at this point? So those bills have huge relevance to this issue. Um, the West Coast Ocean Protection Act is a bill that Senator Dianne Feinstein um, introduced and that several congressmen and women um, have supported. So Representative Levin, um, Representative Huffman, I know have been very vocal, vocally in support of this. Um, what that would do is permanently ban any new leases for oil and gas drilling off the California coast. And that bill has been incorporated in the Build Back Better mm. budget reconciliation bill that's currently being debated. Mm-hmm. And I think that while there's aspects of that bill that have been controversial, um, the notion that we should permanently protect the, the untouched coastline off of our coast seems like a no-brainer that the public can really get behind. And so um, we're really hopeful that that bill will move forward and that that piece of it will be included um, and then on the, the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, mm-hmm. that has some really important investments, mm-hmm. um, you know, perhaps not as closely related to the oil drilling. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're definitely supporting um, the, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, too, and hopeful that it does get passed. Um, it includes, for example, the first investment, federal dollars going toward, um, directly toward um uh, charging station infrastructure so mm-hmm. to build, um, you know, I think it's $7.5 billion for charging station infrastructure. So that's a significant investment that would really help us to get off of oil in the long run. 
Yep. Um, so we're hopeful that will happen. And get us towards our electric car future. I know that, uh, Laura, you were, uh, I think, before you were at Environment California, you were at uh, CalPERG, the California Public Interest Research Group, and you were working on campaigns to remove lead from school drinking water. Well, there's a lot of resources in the, uh, I think it's in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, devoted to removing toxic lead water pipes around the country. That that part, I think, is in the bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill uh the, the smaller bill. I suspect that's important to you and to California, given your previous efforts at CalPERG. Uh, n- nonetheless, are you on board with the bulk of the Democratic caucus, including the progressives in the White House, who favor holding up all of this to make sure that the entirety of the uh, president's Build Back agenda can be passed at the same time? Or you, do you share those concerns from Kirsten Cinema, for example, that uh, in holding up the bipartisan infrastructure bill, uh, somehow we're, we're hurting the nation, as she seems to be arguing? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm hopeful that we get both things done as fast as possible, honestly. Um, so, you know, like, like you said, the bipartisan infrastructure bill would include $15 billion to replace lead service lines yeah. so that we can get the lead out of our water infrastructure all around the country. Um, it also includes $200 million specifically for schools so that we can get the lead out of school drinking water. And the research that I did with CalPERG, and it was actually in partnership with Environment California as well, mm-hmm. um, we found that um, too many of our schools have um, you know, lead-bearing parts in the water infrastructure and the water fil- uh, fixtures or the the um, water fountains that mm-hmm. kids are using. Yeah. And that's the last thing we should be exposing our kids to. Sure is. Um, so. Sure is. Uh, and boy, we... Well, I guess, you know, this is what happens when you have uh, 40 or 50 years of broken government not taking care of the things that need to be taken care of. Maybe we'll finally see at least some of them uh, get taken care of as long as uh, Lord and Savior Joe Manchin from the coal state of West Virginia allows us. Uh, Laura Dean, State Director of Environment California, uh, really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, please stay in touch as we learn more about this uh what looks like a pretty massive oil spill right now off of the uh, coast of Southern California in Orange County. Uh, you can find uh, Laura and uh, the Environment California's work at environmentcalifornia.org. You can find them also on the Twitters at ENV, as in environment, ENV California. And you can find Laura as well, Laura C. Dehan on the Twitters. Laura, really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, good luck uh, with this mess. Thank you very much. Um, Okay, take care. Thank you. All right, we will uh, take a quick break and uh, reset and come back. And by the way, Desi, you say that CNN is now uh, reporting that uh, investigators are looking at whether a ship's anchor... Yeah, that seems to be the initial thought right now is that they're exploring whether a ship's anchor dragging across the floor might have caused that pipeline rupture. So we'll see. Well, when you keep uh, 17 and a half miles of pipeline, and by the way, that is just one of, I think, literally hundreds up and down the coastline. I guess that's bound to happen, ain't it? All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, some some of this mess that's going on in D.C. Also, we'll take your calls on any and all of the above if you like. My phone number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman and you are listening to The Bradcast.
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. See what you did there, Desi Doyen. Yes, more bad puns with music. Dancing on the ceiling. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Of course, the uh, big bruising battle that we've been covering over the past week and that has been playing out over the past several days in D.C. is the fight between the bulk of the Democratic caucus in Congress, now led by progressives by and large, along with the White House and Joe Biden, who are all trying to hammer out a deal with the two obstructionist so-called centrist or so-called moderate Democrats, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. And uh, they are fighting about the president's Build Back Better agenda, which includes this smallish $1 trillion, $1.2 trillion bipartisan roads and bridges infrastructure. Though, as you heard Laura Dean say, it does include things like electric charging stations for uh, 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 vehicles, electric, electric vehicles, uh, as well as replacement of lead pipes around the country. That's in the smaller bill, which is already a pretty big bill. Uh, and then there's the much larger $3.5 trillion, as it's currently proposed, Build Back Better Act, which includes a once-in-a-generation expansion of health care, such as uh, Medicare, Medicaid, the Affordable Care Act, the expansion of monthly child care tax credits, uh, tax credit payments to parents that are now coming in. Uh, if you if you have small children, you're, you have probably already begun to get those checks, about $300 a month per child. It includes education, the expansion of education, like free pre-K and community college, and, of course, major climate change legislation to move our dirty energy utilities toward the production of clean, renewable energy all around the country, all said to be fully paid for by increased taxes on the rich and corporations that would still not restore the tax rates to what they were before Donald Trump and the Republicans lowered them, blowing out about $2 trillion to do so in the bargain. And while that is all being hammered out, with Manchin and Cinema demanding much smaller, uh, a much smaller Build Back Better bill for some reason, Republicans have decided to light a stick of dynamite, and basically they're holding the entire nation and the world uh, economically at hostage here by refusing to let the Democrats raise the nation's debt ceiling in order to borrow money to pay for stuff that we have already bought. It's not to raise the, the debt ceiling so that we can spend more. It's to pay for the stuff that we have already bought, including what Republicans have already bought, including the $8 trillion in debt that was run up during the Trump administration either because they spent it or because they lowered the, the revenue coming in on, uh, on taxes to the rich people and the corporations, all done with the approval of Republicans blocking the means to pay those bills now. 
Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has said that by October 18, the current extraordinary measures being used to continue paying our bills to keep the good faith and credit of the uh, U.S. government will run out as of October 18, and we will face, for the first time in history, default of U.S. government debt payments. And while Republicans say that Democrats should should do this on their own, should raise the debt limit or, or uh, suspend it for now, well, the Democrats would love to do it on their own, but the Republicans are actually blocking Democrats' ability to do that by filibustering the Senate, the uh, Democrats' attempt in the Senate to raise or suspend the debt ceiling, telling Republican senators to, quote, get out of the way and let Democrats suspend the nation's debt limit on their own, with a, quote, meteor heading down to crash our economy as they play Russian roulette with the U.S. economy. Uh, President Biden offered remarks on the GOP hostage taking, again, for no good reason other than to simply cause chaos at the White House on Monday. Republicans in Congress raised the debt three times when Donald Trump was president and each time with Democrat support. But now they won't raise it, even though they're responsible for more than eight trillion dollars in bills incurred in four years under the previous administration. That's what we'd be paying off. They won't raise it, even though defaulting on the debt would lead to a self-inflicted wound that takes our economy over a cliff and risks jobs and retirement savings, Social Security benefits, salaries for service members, benefits for veterans, and so much more. Not only are Republicans refusing to do their job, they're threatening to reuse the power, their power, to prevent us from doing our job, saving the economy from a catastrophic event. I think, quite frankly, it's hypocritical, dangerous, and disgraceful. We're just asking them not to use procedural tricks to block us from doing the job that they won't do. Meteor is is headed to crash into our economy. Democrats are willing to do all the work stopping it. Just get out of the way. If you don't want to help save the country, get out of the way so you don't destroy it. Republicans say they will not do their part to avoid this needless calamity. So be it. But they need to stop playing Russian roulette with the U.S. economy. That was uh, President Biden at the White House on Monday talking about the Republican obstructionism. Republican economic terrorism is what I would call it. Uh, And by the way, I don't know where any of this goes. I don't know how this uh, ends. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. If you know where this is all going, I don't. Both uh, President Biden and Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, by the way, have promised, oh, the country will avoid default. But the public fight and the political posturing itself risks an economic meltdown long before we ever get to the fiscal cliff that we are now staring down the barrel of on October 18. As noted, the stock market... Uh, took a hit last week and again today over all of this. Everyone is jittery about it. The global economy relies on the stability of uh, the U.S. dollar, U.S. Treasury notes, and unpaid debt could crush financial markets and hurl America into a recession. 
literally overnight. Now, the last time that the Republicans threatened to do something similar to what they are doing now, that would be the last time there was a Democrat in the White House when it was Barack Obama. Just by making this threat, credit bureaus ended up lowering the ratings on U.S. uh, Treasury bonds. Just because of the threat, just because Republicans had decided to weaponize the debt ceiling. I would expect that's likely to happen again here, uh, probably in the near future, unless something changes and quickly at this point. Once uh, a routine vote, the need to raise the nation's debt limit has now become increasingly partisan, thanks to the Republicans. It's become a favorite political weapon of the GOP to either demand concessions or force Democrats into unpopular votes to enable more borrowing. They're not even actually asking for anything in return this time. The Republicans are just saying, we want Democrats to do it by themselves. But when the Democrats try to do it by themselves, the Republicans are filibustering them. McConnell has tied the vote to Joe Biden's uh, multi-trillion dollar tax and economic agenda, which, uh, as I said, is being fought over in Congress right now. McConnell is telling the Democrats to include raising the debt ceiling as part of the Build Back Better Act. Democrats just want to pass it, just pass it as a standalone, say, Put this stupid debt limit behind us. Frankly, they ought to get rid of it entirely. There is no good reason for it to even exist. But Mitch McConnell wants to dictate that it should be done as part of the Build Back Better bill, the uh, uh, spending the budget reconciliation bill that can't be filibustered. But that would take a minimum of three to four weeks to add it to that bill and to finally see that bill passed, according to Democrats. Asked about uh, on CNN about Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, asked about this on CNN, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Nancy House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said they will not comply with Republicans' demands that Democrats raise the debt ceiling through budget reconciliation. Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin on CNN's State of the Union on Sunday with Dana Bash took aim at Minority Leader Mitch McConnell for, quote, playing games with a loaded weapon and using the filibuster for the first time to block the raising of the debt limit. The Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, is playing games with a loaded weapon here. He has demanded that the filibuster be applied to the debt ceiling. It may be the first time in history that that's happened. And we've been warned by not only the Treasury Secretary, but by all the financiers across America, this would be deadly to our economy. It would cost us six million jobs. Why? What what Schumer said to McConnell is, uh, if you're not going to lead, if you're not going to follow, then get the hell out of the way. Let the Democrats accept the political responsibility of extending the debt limit. And McConnell says, no, I want to let play this game out. Well, he's doing it at the expense of this economy. Uh, we're going to get this done, well, and we're going to do it in a responsible way and face this as soon as we return next week. So, yes or no, can you guarantee that the United States of America will not default on its debt on October 18th? Well, apparently, if Senator McConnell has its, his way, we will not do that, and that would be a disaster, a financial disaster. But you guys are in country. charge. Will you make sure it doesn't uh, you, happen? <laughs> Dana, I want to just add quickly, you're a student of the game. To say the Democrats are in charge of the Senate (laughs) is to ignore it's a 50-50 Senate, and we need 60 votes if McConnell insists on a filibuster on the debt ceiling. Uh, I think he will come to his senses. I hope he will if he'll listen to the people back home and around this nation. 
who warn him of the dire consequences of his strategy. This is this is just wildly dangerous and wildly irresponsible uh, irresponsible stuff. That was Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, uh, the Democratic whip in the in the Senate on on Sunday. I have no idea how this ends. And, you know, the question is, are Republicans really willing to blow up the U.S. economy this way? They sure are acting like it right now. And it seems impossible that Democrats, even if they wanted to, uh, could get their reconciliation bill done in time. That's currently the the proposed three point five trillion dollar Build Back Better bill. Uh, it's uh, you know they would have to get it completed, voted on in both houses, signed by the president, all before we get to that drop dead date of October eighteen, which is the deadline for U.S. default. If y'all want to ring in on this and 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 where this goes from here, I'd love to hear from you because I really do not know. Uh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. What's going to happen? What, if anything, should or can the Democrats do at this point to prevent absolute fiscal calamity, as the Treasury Secretary has described it and warns? 818-985-KPFK. I got to tell you, the Democrats, the, particularly the progressive Democrats, are doing one hell of a job in holding the line to fight for the Build Back Better agenda, both the smaller infrastructure bill and the larger social safety net and climate change bill, long overdue, both of them. Uh, and I don't know that we'll have time to talk about that today, uh, but they're doing a hell of a good job, as far as I can tell. The progressives now, for the first time in my living memory, are actually uh, seem to be running what is going on in Congress and even in the White House. That's a nice change. But on this debt ceiling, I have no idea where this is going to go. And it is nothing short of economic terrorism. By the Republicans, 818-985-KPFK. Let me take a quick call, and then we'll take a quick break and come back for more. Uh, David in Inglewood. Hey, David, welcome to the broadcast. How are you doing? Hanging in. What's on your mind, sir? Um, regarding the, the, the debt ceiling and everything, I, this is basically drama of their own design. It, it, they've always, Republicans have always voted to continue it. And, and actually, there ought to be legislation, okay? Mm -hmm. You want to default on the government? You guys don't get a paycheck. <laughs> and as, as far as I'm concerned, when I first got in the car and, and heard you, I didn't know what station it was on. I thought, oh, this must be NPR because he sounds like a centrist. But I'm glad that you brought the stuff up. Yes, the progressives are holding the line. But this just goes to show you that what happens in D.C. is almost like professional wrestling. You've got the good guys and the bad guys. But guess what? They're all on the same payroll. They are not. That's the problem. And let me say this, because it's just too easy, just too lazy to say both sides do this. This is not a both sides uh, issue. Yeah, no, no, stop. Let me let me interrupt. Okay. Interrupt. Go ahead. Joe Manchin and Cinema are obstructionists yep. because of their donors. Yep. And the neoliberal Democratic establishment of Pelosi, Schumer, and Biden do the same exact thing. Ex on other issues. 
Well, maybe, well, you know what, we could talk about other issues at other times, and what we're talking about is this issue right now, and we're talking about what they're trying to do right now, which would be the most transformative legislation uh, easily since LBJ's Great Society, since FDR's New Deal. They are doing the right thing. And while I have spent many years beating up uh, on, on Democrats for not doing the right thing, now that they are trying to... With good to, cause. With good cause. Uh, yeah, well, now, yeah, of course. And now that they are trying to, let's not both sides this thing. Let's not turn them into, oh, the neoliberals and the... No, 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 right no, now, no. Hang, I'm with hang on, the hang on, on I know you are, David, I'm but it's not just... But it's not... I know you are, but I'm tr- the point I'm trying to make is this is not just the progressives. This is the pretty much the entire of the Democratic caucus, except for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. And so when we say, and oh, they're all on the same... Why yeah. can't Biden... And why can't Biden learn to be as good a negotiator as Lyndon Johnson was? Because Lyndon when Johnson like this came. Good question. He's a conservative. Okay, good. I gotta, I gotta get to a break, David. I appreciate your thoughts here. Okay. Let, me, let me just give you one th- response, Bye-bye. though. Let me, well, you can hang up or you can listen. Which is that? Why know, can't? Hang up. Why can't Biden do what Lyndon Johnson did? Lyndon Johnson had sixty-eight Democrats in the U.S. Senate. Joe Biden has fifty. Got it. I got to run, David. Well, and, 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 and a lot of those aren't real Democrats. Thank All you right. very much. Thank you, David. I appreciate right. the call. All right. Quick break. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Quick break, and we'll be back with uh, more of your calls. 818-985-5735 is my phone number. I'm Brad Friedman. Oh, by the way, are you, uh, are you, are you living near Huntington Beach? Anybody? Uh, can you smell the petroleum from there? 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad, and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our phone number is 818-985-KPFK. If you are in our Southern California listening area or are listening anywhere across the country or the world via the World Wide Web's 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to John in Temecula. I'm sorry, uh, that's Brian in, in Temecula. Hey, Brian, welcome to the Bradcast, sir. What's on your mind? Uh-oh, and I hope your phone is... Thank you, Brad. Uh-oh. Your phone doesn't sound very good. Yeah, go ahead. Give me your point real quick. Ouch. Yeah, so my point is, is I guess I want to ask you, how much is enough on spending? I mean, we've got a, our country so far in debt, and it all we're just add more debt to it. I understand the talking point that it's all paid for through the taxing the rich and the businesses. Yeah. Which I agree, they do need to pay more, and the businesses do need to pay more. Good. But where do you think that, if they tax the businesses, where do you think that's going to come from? They're going to pass it along to the consumers and raise the prices of the goods. Yeah, well, that's let's. How it works. Yeah, I got you. So, uh, well, it's all, businesses. We're not shooting ourselves in the foot. Uh, it's uh, businesses, uh, Brian, that pay more, that make more than five million dollars a year. It's individuals that make. 
uh, more than $400,000 a year. The money that we are now spending on uh, climate disasters far outpaces what we are talking about spending in this uh, the Build Back Better bill, which is paid for with the tax cuts. However, the Republicans' bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, is not paid for. So I guess you're against the Republicans' bill. You're in favor of the Democratic one, correct? Well, I'm not... I am not a Republican. If you call me a Republican, I'll hang up on you. I, I didn't call you anything. I'm just uh, saying I'm if you're, Republican. I didn't say, I, know, I, I didn't, I didn't, no. call, I didn't call you anything. I'm just saying if you're against debt, then you're against the Republicans' infrastructure bill, and you're in oh, favor of the I, Democrats. I am, I am a full believer that the government has swollen so large that it needs to be. I think it should be blown up and start over. Okay, cool. I mean, our, our, our our government so huge is done. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Done. Yeah. Gotcha. Unfortunately, social services have been carved down to the bone, and the only thing that is so huge that it should be done away with is our military-industrial complex, where we spend trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, and nobody ever complains. Nobody ever makes a peep. So, if you want to blow it up and start all over again, well, we've got about seven hundred trillion dollars worth of uh, military equipment to do it with, and then we can just call off that entire nightmare. Let me go to, very quickly, because uh, we only oh shoot, we only have a minute, Jim in Long Beach. Very quickly, what do you got for us, Jim? Hi. Hey, uh, I go to Steel Beach almost every day, and, uh, you know, the 40 to 50 ships that are you can are visible, they're about 70 all the way down to Dana Point. That's a lot of anchors across a lot of pipelines. Yep. I mean, and you have, you know, the metal uh, deteriorates in water. Um, you know, what's, what's uh, wrong with the picture? Can we get the... Oil subsidy transferred into uh, pr- protecting the uh, infrastructure and and capping off the methane from wells. Et yeah, cetera. that would be that would be nice. Let's uh, take away some of those subsidies and we can put it towards stuff that people actually need. Thank you for that call. I'm sorry, uh, everyone else. I'm not going to be able to get to you. Uh, my apologies, John, who wanted to talk about. Uh, corporatist Dems, which I always love talking about. But that's going to have to wait for another day. Got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator today, Kiana Williams, and, of course, to my guest, Laura Dean of EnvironmentCalifornia.org, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can always download it for free at bradblog.com. You can also drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters. If Facebook is back up, so sad. They've been down much of the day. Sad. You can find me there. I am the Brad Blog at both of those sites. All right, we'll see you there until we see you here. Hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 